0: So as we get started this morning, I'm just going to want to take a moment to still acknowledge in the prayers we, before we get into the, the sermon that's it been kind of an unusual week. Today is 9-11, and uh, we also saw the uh, death of queen, the queen this week. I don't know if you all realize, she was crowned queen in 1952, so she served exactly right at 70 years, and I believe she is the longest-reigning monarch in English history. Am I correct on that? I've seen some people go, Yes. So, uh, for some of us, as long as we can remember, she's been the queen, Uh, and uh, so uh, it's kind of a a ground, kind of shaking event to see this happening. I remember when we had a 9-11, and uh, we gathered here that night. Some of you remember we came in, we gathered that night, and uh, we didn't really know exactly what was going on that day. Uh, We were kind of wondering, and uh, we had family. We had just been up on on the East Coast uh, before we moved here that summer. And we had family up there, um, one of them in the White House and and one of them in the the Pentagon. And we could not reach them and we could not reach their kids because everything was shut down, including the cell phone networks. And um, we gathered that night, not knowing what was going on, there were rumors that the the capital of of Texas was going to get bombed and all kinds of crazy stuff was being mannered about. And we gathered and... uh, the choir led us that night in worship with that uh, Psalm 46, with that wonderful re- refrain, we will not be afraid. So, um, yeah, it's, it was a good time to be able to gather and worship and remember that God was with us. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about being in a deep friendship as we continue this deep and wide series and on a very different kind of note. This week, Cindy and I were watching, y'all, y'all know if y'all are, are keep up with things that uh, Disney is getting ready to drop a new Star Wars series, Right? Anybody know what the name of it is? Yeah, there we go. Where's my man? Yeah, all right. Good job. Andor, yeah. And so this week, Cindy and I are watching some of the backstories on some of this stuff and everything. And, and one of the things as we came up to this, I was reminded on is that there is in two places in the Star Wars series, uh, Master Yoda. Y'all know who he is? Everybody know the, the Jedi Master? Yeah. Master Yoda is instructing in one place, it's Luke. In another place, it's Anakin, his father, who becomes... Thank you, Darth Vader. Yeah, see, y'all know this stuff. Almost as well as they know their Bible. That's a little frightening, isn't it, Don? So, Anyway, he's, he's teaching, and, uh, and he says this. He says, uh, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. And, and you know, we hear that, and, and I think almost all of us kind of connect with that right now, just with, things going on in the world and and watching what happens around the world and, and, and can understand the truth of that statement. But I want you to hold that in your mind for just a minute and contrast that with this statement from Paul in Romans. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wow. So in one statement, we have this whole thing about, you know, Fear leading to to anger, leading to hate, leading to suffering. And this is something to be avoided at all costs. And here we have this thing where we are going to glory in our suffering. Because if God's love has been poured into our hearts, we know that that leads to the ultimate sense of hope. Which one of those sounds more like what you are living through? Because the journey from Yoda to Paul is a journey of deepening faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask you to be with us this morning. In the midst of all the things that shake and rattle the world and shake and rattle us, uh, bring us into your presence. Remind us of the steadfastness of your love and the truth of your word. That we might come and offer ourselves to you. Let the words of my mouth let the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I was kind of playing with this this week, I ran across an article by Ryan Danker, who is the uh, director of the uh, Wesley Institute in Washington, D.C. He talked about being in Oxford, which is where John and Charles Wesley went to school, and uh, being there for a seminar there on the Wesleys at Christ Church and, uh, and they worshiped in the Cathedral of Christ Church at Oxford. And if you ever have the chance to be there, you'll know uh, in that cathedral on one side there's a, a marker on the floor that says, you know, on this spot and such and such date. You know, John was ordained, Charles was, uh, all that kind of thing. But, but he's talking about being in there in a worship service. And, and he writes this in his article. He says, during a particularly boring sermon, I, I know you don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. During a particularly boring sermon, I noticed tiles in the floor of the chancel. We were sitting up in the choir, that's the front area of the church there, that led up to the high altar. Later, with the permission of the clergy, I asked to give these tiles a better look. And what I discovered was something that can best be described as an architecture of holiness. Walking toward the altar, one is led there by the virtues, beginning with fortitude and moving on to justice temperance, prudence, mercy, and humility. These virtues led to the three theological virtues laid out before the altar itself with faith and hope on either side of the central tile, which is love. What this architecture of holiness declares is that the practice of the virtues leads to Christ. Empowered by God's grace, The believer practices the virtues, being led to Christ and life that looks like his. As Wesley said, truth and love united together are the essence of virtue or holiness. It's a beautiful vision of the process of sanctification, but note that it doesn't lead to an impossible destination. It implies that one will move toward holiness, and in many ways it enshrines Wesley's vision. Kind of makes me wonder a little bit whether you know what, what the connection might be there between Wesley and those tiles, and whether he was inspired by them or whether uh, he suggested them i, I, I don 't know the answer to that, but he outlines in that this movement from that we are, are, are on in our faith, this journey we 're on in our faith from, uh, from from understanding the world the way Yoda talks about it, maybe to having paul 's vision, this kind of ever deepening journey of faith that we Move into And Wesley talked about that as uh, sanctification or, or going on to perfection or being perfected in love. And it's a, it's a long journey and, and yet at the same time it can be, um, there's moments when things happen very rapidly in it. He writes uh, in one of his other places, he writes that Wesley described this holy transforming love made possible by faith. And wrote that if it have its perfect work, this holy love fills the believer with all goodness, Righteousness and truth. It brings all heaven into his soul and causes him to walk in the light, even as God is in the light. It's from a sermon, The Law Established by Faith. It's a beautiful vision of freedom. Our lives take on a Christ like character. Wow. That's a beautiful vision. But I hope you heard what he said in the first part, which is it's not an impossible destination. It's not an impossible destination. But it is a challenging one to reach that place of Christian perfection that Wesley would talk about as uh, perfect love, uh, love excluding sin, love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. And we, oftentimes in our American kind of traditions, uh, we want that to happen really rapidly you know, we want to push the button and a switch or you, you know, you come up to the altar and you pray and suddenly it happens. And Wesley would acknowledge that there are those moments of, of tremendous change that take place. But he also would acknowledge that sometimes it's, it's a long process. It, it takes time for this to happen. Uh, everyone, though born of God in an instant, yea, and sanctified in an instant, there's that rapid part, yet undoubtedly grows by slow degrees both after the former and the latter change. It's written in one of his letters that he wrote where he talks about that, with this, this kind of process of growing. And, and in fact, sometimes he acknowledges that the, the process of being grown and transformed in God's love can be difficult and challenging. In another letter he wrote and said, if there's no fight, there's no victory. You know, Sometimes faith is challenging, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it stresses us. Sometimes we're challenged by things outside of us, and sometimes we're challenged by things within us. And and even in Scripture, that gets acknowledged. If you go to uh, Ecclesiastes, the old saying, you know, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This idea that, you know, if you're by yourself and you are facing opposition in the world, it's easy to be overcome. If there's somebody by your side, it's better. If there's two people there, or if it's two of you and God... Man, that's a t- y'all can stand strong. But it acknowledges the fact that you know, sometimes we have challenges from without to our faith and to our being. And in the same way, it acknowledges that sometimes those challenges are internal. There's things inside of us that need some work. And again, going over to Proverbs, you know, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. You know, we need those people in our lives who can hold us accountable, who can call us out. Those folks who know how to say to us that wonderful phrase, right? Well, what did you think was going to happen when we do those stupid things in our lives, right? We need those people around us. A long time before John Wesley would put pen to paper... And the Celtic tradition uh, coming out of Ireland, uh, there was an understanding of holy friendship. And the Celtic friendship knot uh, is basically, it's it's an image of the Trinity. You see the three fish that are interlocked, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity. And they're united by that blue heart shape. It signifies the, you know, the love of God that, that pulls this community of Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit together as one that binds them as one, and it signifies that we are invited into that love of God and the Holy Trinity, but it also in their tradition meant that part of the way we get invited into that love is through the love of our holy friends, those who, who are around us who continually mediate the love of God to us. And it became an important part of their tradition so that when Wesley begins to actually kind of write about the importance of, of having people around us in our journey of faith, he, he's not bringing this out of a vacuum. He's reaching back into the knowledge of, of his forebears and the writings of the scripture. That we need those around us when the world is challenging, that we need those to be with us when we are at fault or we are failing, and that sometimes it's through the love of those around us that we are invited into the love of God. He would be really clear about that, and he said, solitary religion is not to be found there. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Faith working by love is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. To be surrounded by those who love you and mediate the love of God to you. Those kinds of deep and and holy friendships and relationships that make God real to us. I started thinking about this as I walked through the week and thinking about the different places in my life that those people have been present with me and and how that has changed who I am and how that's changed how I relate with God. You know, in my early teens when I was really struggling through a number of things and had kind of reached the point of deciding that, you know, really I was just not lovable and that not only did people around me not love me, but God didn't love me. If you've ever been in that place in your life, you know that that's a very deep, dark pit to wade into. And when you decide that God doesn't even love you, uh, you begin to engage in some very destructive kinds of habits and, and, and activities and behaviors. And, and in the midst of that, when I was convinced that, you know, I was just kind of in that pit by myself, what I did not realize was that my, my sister was aware of that. And so at, at an event where some of the older kids were present, and that was important. Remember, I was, this is, I'm 12, 13 years old at this point. I'm in early middle school, and, you know, when you're in that age, you know, the, the high school kids, the college-age kids, you know, you kind of, ooh, those are the important guys, right? She invited me into a group of her friends in that age group, and she handed me a rock, which... Um, She had written on with, I think that's nail polish. And on one side it says, love knows no no end. And then on the other side it says, Tom, all my love, Judy. And it hit me like a thunderclap. I mean, the fact that I have this rock some 50-something years later should tell you something. It's traveled a lot of places with me. Because in that moment, all of a sudden, I knew that there was somebody that did love me. If my sister loved me, maybe other people could love me. And if other people could love me, maybe God could love me. And that opened the door to a whole shift in my framework of understanding. As I grew up in that congregation, I was surrounded by friends who, who were there with me on that same journey of faith that we shared with. Us. Sometimes we didn't do it well, sometimes we did do it well. But people like John and, and Jim and Larry and Mark and Paula Kay and Kathy and Cindy and all these people that were around and, and together as we grew up in that journey sharing with one another and building relationships that we maintain even to today. Toward the end of my college career, I met the woman that would become my wife, my Cindy. Who became one of those other deep and holy friendships as well as my wife. And those of you that know Cindy know that she is very capable of standing with you to defend you. She can be that. But she's also very capable of saying, what did you think was going to happen? And so she's been a strength, but also somebody to hold me accountable through that time. And seminary was where I first encountered Wesley's idea of these small groups that he came up with, idea of societies and classes and bands that would come together in small groups where people would gather and pray for one another and inquire after the state of each other's souls. And some of the people I gathered with to pray with, I still see every once in a while when I go to national church gatherings at this event or the other, and I see one of them there, Bob or Mike, and, and we get a chance to visit with each other and catch up with each other. When I came out of school and began to work in ministry, the next person that really was one of the holy friends in my life was a gentleman by the name of Jake Reynolds. When I went to Corpus Christi uh, not, about a year after my father's death. And uh, Jake was there. Jake was, I think, 72 at that time, and I was around 30. Uh, and, And Jake became this holy, sacred person in my life. Jake came alongside me when I was angry and hurting and didn't quite know how to deal with that. And in the midst of a worship service, stood up and looked at me and said, Tom, I don't know what it is that you are carrying, but if you will let me, I will carry it with you. and I had opened a whole door for healing to take place in my life. Jake sponsored me on a walk to Emmaus. He invited me into his reunion group, which is where I really experienced how powerful that could be. And they walked alongside me while I was working my way through things, and I walked alongside them. When Jake's wife died suddenly, When Rick began to to fight and enter into recovery from alcoholism. When John Wilson died from AIDS. I got invited into places that were at once intimidating and overwhelming and yet honoring. To be invited into those deep and powerful moments. And to experience the presence of God in those deep and powerful moments. That's continued through my ministry. Everywhere I've gone, I've had different groups that I've met with or who've held me up. And and even to this day, uh, there's there's a group of people that I stay in touch with that I connected with at the New Room Conference. And we uh, online and by phone continue to be in touch with each other and to hold each other up. There's a pastors and covenant group here in town that I meet with on a regular basis just to come together. Because I still need people who will lift me up and encourage me. And people who will say, what did you think was going to happen? And you do too. And one of Wesley's geniuses was he recognized the truth in, in, embodied in Scripture. That we need one another. We need those holy friendships because it's in the love that we are held in that that we are strengthened and it's only in that kind of love that we can actually be held accountable for our journey of faith. So I want to encourage you this morning if you if you haven't found those people to to reach out and think about who those people need to be or or if you want to uh, be part of the class on the small of uh, the band meeting so that you can be part of that find a grow group that'll support you in that as as we've gone through this series we've talked about you know we're built to to grow we're built to transform we're built to produce god's fruit in the world Uh, this kind of idea of if you're connected right i'm the vine you're the branches if you remain or abide in me and i in you you'll bear much fruit apartment from me you can do nothing we all need those people who help us stay connected with each other and with god and to be part of that river of life right fruit trees of all kinds grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. We all, we all need those other drops of water that form the river of life around us. At the beginning of the summer, we uh, did that series on intentional faith written by Alan Jackson, not the country music guy, but Alan Jackson, the pastor of World Outreach Church. And, And in that book, he made the comment, he said, growing churches are comprised of growing people. We need those friendships so that we continue to grow deeper in our faith and deepen our relationships with one another so that our lives produce the kind of fruit God desires, so that we're part of that river of life that waters the world around us. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. Who are the people in your life that have encouraged you or challenged you to grow deeper in faith? And who are the friends you turn to in times of difficulty or struggle? And conversely, For whom are you, that friend? And is there someone who would claim you as a holy friend? So in 2003, uh, when my sister passed away, we had her service at uh, First Methodist in Missouri City, which was the church she had served for about 20 years. And, uh, and we gathered there to, to have this service, and uh, the in the weeks or so leading up to that, everything was kind of crazy. Some of you know what that's like to go through. And, uh, you know, just kind of making arrangements and getting this done and getting that done and coordinating between uh, people here and people in Houston and going back and forth and all the things that happened with that. And we got to the day of the service, and my wife was my buffer, and she was that other cord in the strand with me, you know, kind of protecting me and being sure that I could do what I needed to do because I was going to speak and my brother-in-law was going to speak and her pastor who had been her boss for 25 years was going to speak. So Cindy kind of protected us and Cindy prayed for us and then we went in to do this service and we got through it really well. I was amazed that we did as well as we did And, and then at the end we did communion And as we serve communion to the 400-some-odd people that were there that day, I'm serving communion. All of a sudden, I look up, and there in front of me in the line is my friend Larry. I hadn't spoken to Larry in a couple of years at that point, just out of busyness. I don't know how he knew about it, because I didn't call to let him know about it. But he was there. And I fell apart. Because through him, God's love was mediated to me. So let me ask you again. Who who in your life is the Larry for you? And to whom are you the Larry that mediates God's love? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for for these people you place in the midst of our lives. Who come alongside of us. Who make your love real to us. Who are there to lift us up and encourage us and strengthen us in those moments when life is overwhelming. And who are there to call us to account in the midst of our failures and our fallings. And we give you thanks that you send them in the midst of our life so that, that we might not fail, but we might find the strength and the sustaining and the direction and the guidance to continue to grow deeper and deeper in our love with you and deeper and deeper in our love with all of our brothers and sisters. So we give you thanks. We ask you to open our eyes to the gift of these holy friendships that you have shared with us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.